Last week it was the image of a husband or a father and a son that you that God used to teach his people about their relationship to him. Today it's the the, the image of a husband and a wife. Uh, the word of God for us from Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning at verse 2 through 6, and then 31 to 34. Verse 1 is actually a connect is connected backwards to chapter 30. That's why we'll start with verse 2. Please listen to what he says. It'll be on the screen. It's also in the sermon insert. This is what the Lord says. The people who survive the sword will find favor in the wilderness. I will come to give rest to Israel. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again and you virgin Israel will be rebuilt again. You will take up your timbrels and go out to dance with the joyful again. You will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The farmers will plant them and enjoy their fruit. There will be a day when watchmen cry out on the hills of Ephraim, Come, let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah, with you. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, nor the Lord because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is the word of our God. Jacob, I'll run the show now, the screen anyway. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, your word is holy and good. It makes us holy. It teaches us how to live holy lives. It forgives our sins and stands us up on our feet that we might live as your dear children, as your dear bride. Lord God, help us to know the depth of your love for us tonight, this morning, to begin to know, to begin to know again how long and wide and deep your love is for us. So to that end, Lord, May the words of my mouth and the hearing of our ears, the meditation of our hearts, let it all be pleasing in your sight, God. You alone are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was a story designed by Disney and written in fairy tales. Joe... If you were at prep last week and you heard this introduction, Joe saw her in high school already and set his eyes on her. It, it wasn't that she was particularly pretty. In fact, she was more of a plain Jane, kind of regular, kind of ordinary. She didn't stick out much. There was nothing about her that would say, from, Joe's, from a human perspective, I want that girl. But Joe decided in his heart that that was the girl he wanted to take to homecoming, so he made the sign, and he did the thing Jeremiah talked about. He took a string, and he attached it to the string. 
And at the Tuesday pep rally, he held up the sign across, and he had one of his friends take the string and lead it to her. And then with gentleness and kindness, he drew her with cords of kindness. He cared for her, and, and that was just the beginning of the fairy tale. They enjoyed homecoming week. They enjoyed dating and getting to know each other through high school and then to college. Time and space doesn't permit us this morning to, to think or to talk about their engagement or their wedding or their marriage. So, suffice it to say, it was the thing that Disney designed. It was, they walked through life hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder, face to face, belly button to belly button, all the way toward heaven together. That was their goal. And, and then Joe, Joe, both of them were living successful business lives, and Joe went on a business trip. And the meetings got over early, so he said, I'm going to come home and surprise her. He had something special to give her from his faraway trip, and he, and he brought it home. He Ubered home, and there in the driveway was a car that he didn't expect, didn't recognize the car. He went in the door, and there was somebody sneaking out the back door. And what broke his heart even more was she left with him. The girl whom he drew with cords of kindness, whom he had married and committed himself to, the girl into whom he entered into a marriage covenant that he would be faithful to her till death do us part. She broke it and left with another guy. What should he do? Should he, A, should he get back at her? She hurt me. I'm going to hurt her now. Should he get his pound of flesh? Should he, B, wash his hands, just move on? Or should he, C, try to get her back? I share this image with you and I try to help you imagine this sort of thing because this is the kind of thing that, God, because this morning, I want to try to help you understand how God feels about you. God had looked at his people in Exodus chapter 19. God had looked at his people in Egypt. God looked to his people in the wilderness and he said to them, you yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. God looked at his people, Israel, and he said they weren't particularly pretty. They weren't particularly a big nation. In fact, God said about his people, this nation is stubborn, stiff-necked, rebellious, and one of the smallest nations around. And yet God set his eyes on this nation, Israel, these people who were his, and he said to them, although the whole earth is mine, I have made you to be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be the groom and you will be my bride. And for a long time, well, we can debate how long, for a time it was really good. In Jeremiah chapter 2, God thought back about the early days of their marriage, the early days of his relationship with the people of Israel, and he, and he described the, their, their relationship like, like I forgive the imagery because it's about people, but it's about animals. It's, a, it's the master and a puppy. 
The, the people of Israel kind of like trailed on God's feet. They were right there on his arm, right next to him, right beside him, enjoy, like walking with God, enjoying the people of Israel did in the wilderness. What did they do? Wherever they camped, they set up the tabernacle so they could gather with their God. And when God finally settled them in their, in their nation and gave them a capital city, they gathered, to, they gathered together with their God at the temple. For a time, it was really good. God and his people walking shoulder to shoulder together in joy. It was beautiful. But then God looked at his people and he saw what was going on on Monday and Tuesday. He saw how his people were setting up opposition altars, other altars to other gods under other trees on other hills. And they'd show up on Sabbath. They'd show up on Sabbath and make their sacrifices and pray their prayers and read through the scriptures. But then on the next day, they'd go about to their other gods. And God saw his people, (laughs) your hearts are divided. And it wore God out. They wore God out with their sins and their rebellion. They wore God out with their divided hearts and their false worship. Their hearts were far from him. And yet God their father, God their husband, let's stick with the image. God their husband said, I will not give up on my people. And so again and again, God wore himself out, sending prophets again and again. Jeremiah is one of them, sending prophets again and again to call his people back. But his people weren't listening. What should God do when his people set up altars to other gods? Should he, A, get back at them, get his pound of flesh, you know, punish them for what they've done? Should he, should he be, should he just wash his hands and start over with a new nation? Or should he see, try to get him back? I hope I haven't worn you out with all this talk of this imaginary talk of a fairy tale marriage and a people's history. But, but I've done it with a singular purpose of helping you to begin to understand how God feels when you sin. What your sin does to God when you sin against Him. Remember for a moment with me just how God has loved you. Your story, our story, is not so different than the people of Israel's story. From eternity, God, your husband, set his eye on you and said, although the whole earth is mine, I want you, I want you to be mine. And that was before you were born. That was before God began any of his creating work in you, simply because of pure grace. He said, I choose you. And then in time, by grace, without your thinking or choosing or desiring a single, single thing, God took you in his hands, his creator hands, and he formed you in your mother's womb. He made you who you are. 
Your skills, your talents, your abilities, your person, your likes and your dislikes, everything about you, God made you. It's wonderful. And, and then in the, in, the, in the fullness of your own life, God came to you in a watery word, a, a watery covenant and said, I want you to be mine. That, that choosing that God did ahead of time, he carried to, to fruition in your own life. And he said, I want you to be mine. He entered into a solemn covenant with you. Can you see your baptism that way? That your baptism is God's covenant to you. That I will be your God. That I will be your Savior. And that you will be mine for all eternity. And from those moments, from all eternity into the very moments of your life, until this very day and the promises days yet to come, God will continue to nourish and guard and keep your life. By water, word, and wine, He will feed and strengthen your faith. He will forgive your sins day after day, Sunday after Sunday, not just Sunday after Sunday, but Monday after Monday too. And every day he will guard and keep you from all danger, protect you from all evil. Because God's sincere intent for you is that you would be his for all eternity. That he would be your God and that you would be his people. And yet you still do what you do. And you know better. I don't, I don't think I need to take the time this morning, but I'll take just a minute or two to take the time to make a list of the ways that you know, that you do things that you know better, but let's just talk about your heart. The bitterness and anger and frustration that live in your heart. It's poison to your soul, but it lives there anyway. And you know better. The words that fly out of your mouth to other people or about other people, so destructive to relationships. And you know better. You, people who are holy to the Lord, look at things that are unholy on your screens or computers or even through the reels of your mind. And you know better. I don't think it's too far of a stretch to think that we do not sin in ignorance. Weakness, perhaps, but not ignorance. We are people who were given a new heart, who are taught by God's Spirit, and yet we still do things to dishonor our God, and you know better. What should God do with us? Should he get even with us? Should he wash his hands and start over with somebody else? Or should he try to get us back? If you read Israel's story, especially here in the book of Jeremiah, you might begin to think to yourself that, that God is getting back. I mean, this whole thing with Babylon, I think Pastor Krieger dealt with this last week, this whole thing with Babylon, it feels a lot like punishment. It feels a lot like God is saying to his people, this is what you did, and because you did this, I'm going to get even with you. Nebuchadnezzar was not a kind or merciful or gracious king. He was a turd in every sense of the term. And he was a jerk. 
destroying temples, destroying cities, taking people out, killing people. The, the king, he plucked out his eyes. To the, he killed his sons in front of him. And the last thing he saw then before his eyes were plucked out was the death of his sons. Not a nice man. You, you, you might assume reading this account of God's people in Jeremiah and in the books of the Kings and the Chronicles that God, when he sent Nebuchadnezzar, was simply saying, I'm going to give you what you deserve. And if you don't go that far, you might at least assume and think to yourself, well, God just washed his hands and he just let Nebuchadnezzar, I'm done with you people, so whatever Nebuchadnezzar wants, he's all, right? they're, he's all, they're all yours, Nebuchadnezzar. But let me help you understand, and you probably already know that I'm going to say this, is God's intent was never to get his people back or punish them for their sins. He was going to do that on the cross. God's intent was never to abandon his people. His intent was only to make them his again. Again, God said, you will go out with a timbrel, which is like, kind of like a tambourine, I think. Tambourine, tambourine. Or they were going to go out with dancing and singing. Again, they were going to build and plant. Right now, their city was destroyed, but God said, again, you're going to build. Again, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. See, God's intent with you, dear people of God, is always and only to make you His again. When we sin against God, It's like we took that watery, grace-filled covenant that God made with us at our baptism and we tore it up under His feet. But what God promises to do is to make that covenant new with you again. See, I want you to understand that God is not... All right, guys, make it go on again. I did it wrong. There it is. God is not in the business of making new things. He did that at the beginning, but he's not in the business of making new things anymore. If he were, he would have taken Adam and Eve when they sinned and said, all right, we're done with you, something new. Done with you, something new. If that were the case with Israel, he would have said to you, all right, I'm done with you, Israel, a new nation. If God were going to do that with us, He'd push us off to the side and start over new with someone else. But God's not in the business of making new things. Rather, God is in the business of making old, broken things new again. See, what God promises to do for you and for me, day after day, moment after moment, whenever He finds us in the arms of another God, and we return to him, he promises, I will pick up that baptismal covenant, the one that you tore to pieces and threw on the floor, the one that you trampled underfoot by your sin, and I will make that covenant new with you once again. Again, you will go out with the timbrel. Again, you will go out and plant. That's the language that God is using with his people. Uh, Again, he will give to you a new heart so that you know him. He will give faith into your heart and remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Uh, Again, he will teach you to know him and to follow him. Again, he will remove your wickedness and remember your sins no more. He's not in the business of replacing things. He's He's in the business of making 
old broken covenants that you broke and restoring and renewing that covenant to you and with you. That's what He'll do at the very end. These old broken bodies of ours that are cursed by sin, they will, we won't get a new body, we'll get a renewed body. A body made new and perfect and holy again. And God promises to make a new heavens and a new earth where we will live with Him and walk with Him as Adam and Eve did in the garden. It is God's intent to make all things new. Make all things new again. So, the husband, Joe, he got his wife back. He chased her down and he got her back. God got his people back. He got you back. Now what? Permit one more story and then we'll be done. I'll tell you the story of, it's, it's, it's a vivid, vivid image for me, so forgive me if I've told the story before. I can't remember where or when I've told it. But it sticks with me and maybe it'll stick with you. It's, it's from a foreign film called Three Rivers. I don't expect that any of you have seen it. It's the story of high a rickshaw driver. A rickshaw is one of those two-wheeled carts that horses pull and they race with them. And Lan, a high-priced prostitute. I promise this won't be R-rated. It was High's desire to have a night with Lan. But he was poor and broke, and she was the most expensive prostitute in town. And so he thought that he would win a night with her. He would earn a night with her by winning these races. And so he raced, and he raced, and he raced, and he was never quite good enough because he was poor. He couldn't have a fast horse. But one night, skill and speed and strength and just a, con a conglomeration of things happened so that he won the race and took in significant winnings so that he was able to buy a night with Lon. He reserved the best hotel, the penthouse suite, and he picked her up in his rickshaw because that's all he had. And he took her to the hotel and you can imagine perhaps some of the thoughts going through her mind because she had been down this road before with other men before. She was a slave to this kind of thing. And they checked in and went to the hotel and she was nervous and maybe even a little bit afraid of what would happen. And they got to the room, the hotel room, and he swiped the key card and opened the door and invited her to go in. But he did not go in after her. He told her, on the bed are clean clothes, bright and clean for you to wear. White linen. Wash yourself. Clean yourself up. Put on these clean clothes. Order room service. It's on me. I've told them to get you anything you want. I'm going to sit here at the door and make sure that you're safe and protected and undisturbed. He wanted to give her freedom and safety and cleansing. Can you begin to see Jesus? I know it's not a story about Jesus, but can you begin to see Jesus? How he spent every penny of his blood to make you his.
and brought you into a house and gave you God's family and gave you clean, bright clothes to wear and fed you food for your soul, water, word, and wine. And he said, I'm at the door to keep you safe, to save you, and to give you freedom. The next morning, she woke up, put her white clothes on again. She was a little proud of that. Felt good to wear white, even though it was after Memorial Day. Can't, I don't know the customs. She was clean. He was at the door, standing guard. They walked down together. They got, in the, they got to the elevator, and they both went their own ways. High went back to his rickshaw driving, and she didn't go back not to the life she had before. When she had known a love like that, how could she ever go back? Your God says to you today, I have drawn you with cords of kindness. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I've renewed my covenant to you today. My mercies are new, renewed, each morning to you. When you have been loved like this, how can we go back to that life? But rather, let us live in the life that our God has given to us. Amen? Amen. Now the God of peace grant you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Amen.